Last time, we looked at the progression of plant development to try to see how the Bible portrays spiritual development. This progression, or something similar to it, is termed epicoregia, which the Passion Translation renders God's choreographing of your entrance into his kingdom. That's quite a vivid picture, isn't it? God choreographing your entrance to the kingdom. He directs the dance of your welcome into heaven. Yet John assures us this is not a legend, but represents the power of Jesus appearing in magnificence and splendor, as reflected by the voice at the transfiguration, confirming Old Testament prophecy. This prophecy is compared to a bright light at the dawn of a new day, when the morning star rises in your hearts. This does not refer to the return of Jesus, but to the daily dawning of our morning star as Jesus rises within us. Peter links this with the need for the Holy Spirit to have an adequate interpretation of Scripture. In chapter 2, the first verse, uh, we find that Peter reminds his readers of the false prophets of the past and that this will continue in the future as they introduce false doctrine that destroy the faith of believers. These false teachers will deny Jesus and promote sexual immorality. Their goal is to exploit others with their clever arguments. Peter mentions the fallen angels at the time of Noah, sometimes called watchers, who engaged in sexual relationships with human women, as mentioned in Jude verses 6 and 7 in Daniel 4, and some of the extra-biblical sources, such as the Dead Sea Scrolls. These false teachers are also compared to those who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that God would provide a way out of destruction, as he did Abraham's nephew Lot. These false teachers are compared to brute beasts who slander whatever they do not understand, including the angels of the Lord. They are called stains and blemishes upon God's people when they attend love feasts because of their addiction to adultery. They seduce the vulnerable and are filled with greed. They are condemned like Balaam in the Bible, see Numbers chapters 22 to 24, and speak grandiose nonsense. The promised freedom to others, they promise freedom to others, but they are slaves to corruption, Peter tells us. We see such people today telling us to shed the values of the past and take on a permissive lifestyle. The culture that surrounds us conveys this message as well. But many pastors and others ignore those who live together without marriage and even elevate those who live immoral lifestyles as being okay and even positive models for others. Pornography is not unknown among church leaders, as well as attending lust-encouraging shows and even strip-tease places. I know of several organizations that minister to Christians who describe themselves as sexual addicts. I am not against those organizations. They are needed in today's permissive culture. But I am alarmed when they tell me, as several have, that they can only be accountable to their support group because churches would shun them if they knew about this background. 
I recall one self-proclaimed sex addict saying his support group was more like the church as it should be than his own church was. There simply was no place he could be honest and open about his problems in the church. Unfortunately, the support group disbanded, and the former members could no longer get the help they needed. Peter warns us about how easy it is to be re-entangled and defeated by the world system after escaping that corruption. And in the end, the result is worse than if they had never become Christians. That's in chapter 2, verse 21. Are we serious about helping others live for God without compromise? Are we serious about our own living above moral compromise? Are we willing to offer ministry to those who need help with living in sexual purity? Or do we tolerate preachers and church leaders who compromise morally because they have interesting stories and can com- uh, and yet uh, comprise themselves because they have interesting stories? Do the programs in our churches encourage accountability and honesty about private sin? Or do they pretend that sin doesn't occur? Is there a place where people can be vulnerable in your church, confessing their sins to one another, as the Bible says? Or is a place where people is your church a place where people pretend to be saints, and sexual sin is glossed over as a weakness and ignored as just being human? This is Brother Don.